0: Lord, thank you for um, every Wednesday. Thank you for providing for us. Um, I pray that you just speak to us now and that we'd be open to receive what you have for us, Lord. And I just pray that we would sit with it and use it throughout the week, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you. So we are in Deuteronomy. We're in chapter 3. And we're continuing Moses' locker room talk, is what I keep saying. And it is Moses trying to teach. Um, this new generation, um, because God is faithful. Um, The old generation has died off because of disobedience. They wandered around for too long, but God's covenant still stands, and he is still going to deliver this new generation into the promised land. Um, So we're going to start with verses 1 through 11. It says, the Bible says, Then we turned and went up the road to Bashan, and Og, king of Bashan, came out against Mm -hmm. us, he and all his people to battle at Edrei, And the Lord said to me, Do not fear him, for I have delivered him and all his people and his land into your hand. Um, you shall do to him as you did to Sihon, king of the Amorites, who dwelt at Heshbon. So the Lord our God also delivered into our hands Og, king of Bashan, with his people. And we attacked him until he had no survivors remaining. And we took all the cities at the time. There was not a city which we did not take <coughs> from them. Sixty cities. All the region of Argov, the kingdom of Og, and Bashan. All these cities were fortified with high walls, gates, and bars, besides a great many rural, rural towns, and we utterly destroyed them, as we did to Sihon, king of Heshbon, utterly destroying the men, women, and children of every city. But all the, lives, all the livestock and the spoils of the cities we took as booty for ourselves. And at the time, we took the land from the hand of the two <coughs> kings of the Amorites, who were on this side of the Jordan, from the river Arnon to Mount Hermon. The Sidonians called Hermon Syrian, and the Amorites call it Sinir. All the cities of the plain, all Gilead and all Bashan, as far as Salka and Edred, cities of the kingdom of Og in Bashan. For only Og, king of Bashan, remained of the remnant of the giants. Indeed, his bedstead was an iron bedstead. Um, it is not in Rabba of the people of Ammon. Nine cubits is its length and four cubits its width, according to the standard cubit. Um, let's read 12 through 14. It kind of <coughs> goes along with it. And this land which we possess at this time from Aror, which is by the river Arnon, and half the mountains of Gilead and its cities. I gave the Reubenites and the Gadites, the rest of Gilead and all Bashan, the the kingdom of Og, I gave to half of the tribe of Manasseh, all the region of Argob with all Bashan, was called the land of the giants. Jerah the son of Manasseh, took all the region of Argob as far as the border of the Geshurites and the Macathites, and called... Fashion after his own name, have it Jared to this day. And so we see the, the first part of it talks about a lot of land distribution, a lot of uh, kind of control, which one's yours, um, what the Lord has brought you through, um, what kind of giants and different overwhelming walls of cities that the Lord um, can bring to you. And I put it applies to us in two levels. It applies to us on a macro level, which is God controls the land. And so he made the heavens and he made the earth. He chooses who gets which land. And if you think about it, that starts a lot of wars. Is we fight over land all the time because we claim it's ours, or we claim it's our people, but ultimately all land um, belongs to God. I even saw this really cool picture on Facebook. It's of the Gulf of Alaska, and it shows two oceans meeting, but they don't mix. And I'm like, I saw that and I was like, How can God not be real? Like It was just so cool. It was literally two different oceans. They're two different colors. One was turquoise, and the other one was dark blue. And that's where they meet, but they did not mix. And that's just showing you God's power, God's glory, that he divides where he wants to divide. He controls um, land where he wants to control. And it applies to us on a micro level, so on a more smaller scale, but just as important. Uh, We need to remember that everything we have um, only comes from God. So God is in control the whole earth and he's in control of all of our possessions um, he gives it to us on a moment's notice and he can take it away even faster um, and I put we need to wake up grateful for things like breath things like our hands our feet um, just the fact that we wake up and take advantage of his grace and by that I don't mean um, to sin just because you're saved you don't sin just because you're saved that's not taking advantage of grace taking advantage of grace is when you wake up, you realize, whoa, I woke up and I still have everything that I shouldn't have. This is all from God. God's given me all this. And so I'm going to live in a way that's going to take advantage of this grace. I'm going to live in a way that shows that I'm grateful for everything because um, I don't deserve this. In Psalms chapter chapter 22, verse 3, it says, But you are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel, and in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 3, it says, And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And it also shows us God is set apart from everything. And so he owns everything. He owns all the land and all of your possessions as well. Um, I also put another micro-level application for us is um, he divides land and he decides who gets what. And it also applies for us to not have a coveting heart. And so we can't go, why does that guy have something that I don't have? Or why does that girl have something that I want? We shouldn't have a coveting heart. God decides who gets big land. God decides, decides who gets small land. It also says in Luke, one of my favorite verses, chapter 16, verse 10, it says, he who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. And it talks about Pretty much, that verse is saying, "How can you be faithful with a lot? How do? You, why would you want a lot when a lot of times we can't be faithful with a little?" It's saying you need to be faithful with a little um, first. The verse also talks about being unjust, and that goes with coveting. Coveting is unjust. We are in no position to covet God. If God gives us everything, and that is something we don't deserve, like our jobs. Um, Sometimes we think, you know, I work for my job, or I work for performance, and we wouldn't have any of that if God didn't give us arms and legs, because people are born without arms and legs and different things. People are born blind, and then we have all these things, and we think it's out of our strength, but it's really um, all of God. I put some examples here. I put, uh, we would never go up to a waiter after a meal and say, you need to pay for my bill, because... It doesn't work that way. They're the ones serving you, they're the one giving you your food. You would never do that to a waiter. Uh, I also put Halloween's coming up and you would never go trick-or-treating and when you go up to a door you would never go, can I have your house, instead of can I have candy. You wouldn't say that because they're in no position to give you that. Same thing with um, the food. You're eating, you're ordering the food, you're in no position to ask the waiter to pay for your meal. Um, I put another example for me is the church website is very gracious. It's an awesome website. Um, some of you guys don't know I have a YouTube channel. That's why I'm recording right now. I'm trying to link it together, and they post my link on the homepage. But if they took that off, I am in no position to go. Why did you guys take that off? Like I, I'm in no position to say I deserve to be on that website. That's something that's given to me, um, and so. But we do that with God. We would never go up to a waiter and go, "You should pay for my meal." But we do that with God. We go, well. God, why didn't you give me that? When everything we already have is not supposed to be ours. Everything we have is a gift from God. So it shows the bigger picture. Moses is trying to describe to more than just the physical of God is distributing land. He's saying that God is in control of everything. He's saying God controls the big picture. He divides um, earth, he divides oceans and mountains, and he also divides who gets what. And all of that is by grace. Everything you have is because of God. Um, I'm going to touch on verse 6 because it's a little uneasy. Verse 6 says, And we utterly destroy them as we did to Sihon, king of Heshbon, utterly destroying the men, women, and children of every city. And it talks about this a couple times in the Bible where God exterminates um, various cities. And the reason for it is similar to... What was the word? Not lemon. The Corbin? What's up? Corbin? No, the thing in uh, flour, in dough, leaven, leaven, Leaven. Leaven. if there's um, leaven in dough, even just a little bit, it um, contaminates the whole whole thing. And so a lot of times, God, to protect his children, he will exterminate any um, option for his children to get hurt. He does things that we don't even know on a daily to protect us, and he does it... For his own reason, we have to understand that what God doing is right and that we have to be grateful that we're his children because those are the ones um, that he takes seriously. I also put another picture that comes to mind is death. And I put it takes a very mature Christian to be okay with what God uses death for because a lot of time God uses death to heal people, He uses death to bring people home. And I just think of uh, Johnny's example a lot where he talks about how. Sometimes we're selfish and we hang on to people even though they're suffering. They they're ready to go with Jesus, but we're not ready for them. And I know Johnny's talked about different examples in his life where he would rather them go with Jesus and he would meet up with them later. And that takes a very mature Christian because we get emotional when we hear about you know death and extermination and what but God sees it in a completely different perspective. God sees death as sometimes one of the best things possible because Um, because his children is going to be with him. And that's the best thing possible. We should always want that. I also think of the rope example. A lot of pastors use the rope example. They'll take a really, 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 really long rope. I know Johnny said it went to Japan. I don't know if he believed him when he did the service. But at the end of the rope, there's a small (coughs) red painted section. And the red painted section represents um, your life on this earth. And the rest of the rope represents eternity. And it's supposed to emphasize how... The red part, a lot of people live for this small red part, but they don't think about eternity. And it's the same thing with this. When we think about death, when we let our loved ones go, they are in the perfect eternity with Jesus, yet we want to keep them in this tiny red spot, because sometimes, you know, we're selfish, we're not ready to let go. And so just think about the rope, not only in your life, but think about the ropes when letting others go with Jesus, because they're about to experience the best part of the rope, which is the eternity. In, we're going to move on to verses 12 through 22 now. Or no, sorry. 15 through 22. <laughs> also I gave Gilead to Macher and to the Reubenites and the Gadonites. I gave from Gilead as far as the river Arnon, the middle of the river, as the border as far as the river of Jabbok. The border <laughs> of the people of Ammon, the plain also with the Jordan, as the border from Nerath, as far as the east side of the sea of the Araba, the Salt Sea, below the slopes of Passag. Oh, excuse me. And then I commanded you at that time, saying, The Lord your God has given you this land to possess. All you men of valor shall cross over, armed before your brethren, the children of Israel, but your wives, your little ones, and your livestock. I know that you have much livestock, shall stay in your cities. Which I which I have given you until the Lord has given rest to your brethren, as to you, and they also possess the land which the Lord your God is giving them beyond the Jordan. Then each of you may return to his possession which I have given you. And I commanded Joshua at that time, saying, Your eyes have seen all that the Lord your God has done. To these kings, so will the Lord do all the kingdoms through which you pass. You must not fear them, for the Lord your God Himself. Fights for you. I really need to read <laughs> these names of these cities because I'm having a hard time pronouncing them when I study I just skim I, just, I read the text but I read it in my head and so I'm not really pronouncing these cities so forgive me for my pronunciation um, and so what uh, God is doing here is God is telling Moses that um, he's pretty much reiterating he's not going to enter the promised land and it's something we already know it's something Moses kind of already knew too he's saying Joshua is going to be the one leading um, this group. And it's a good representation because everything they're doing, dividing land and conquering it um, with God as the overseer, it represents community. This nation isn't, remember, it's not just a few people, it's not just a family or two, it's a giant nation. It's a group of people, you know, different ages. A lot of these new generations are very young. And so it represents uh, community and biblical thinking always thinks with working with a community. And a lot of people, you know, don't like that. A lot of people are like, Oh, I'm good with my Jesus, but I don't want to go to church because I have to deal with people and work with people. And people say, you know, I don't want to work in ministry or I don't want to do ministry because I have to work with people and people are imperfect. But what God is saying is God is saying, that's the point. That's how my glory is shown is because imperfect doesn't work with imperfect. But if it's led by perfect, if it's led by God, it shows how amazing God is. Because unity is something that comes only from God. That comes straight from God. Because we're imperfect. How, how are we working together? If you really think about it, every Wednesday night, this is a miracle that this all goes on. Because I know how I can be. I know how, you know, a lot of people are. A lot of people can be busy, different things. But it comes together every Wednesday. And that's only a work of God. It shows community. And so if you call yourself a Christian, the way you should think is sometimes working with people are better. Even if, yes, people are imperfect. I'm imperfect. You're imperfect we got to get over it because it emphasizes God is in control. If we were perfect, we wouldn't need God. That's why we need God, because we're imperfect. Verse 21 is, God is letting us know Joshua will be the one to lead the children into the promised land. Um, Joshua has also shown traits of leadership in the past. If you look at Exodus chapter 17, verses 9 through 13, it says, And Moses said to Joshua, Choose us some men and go out, fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the... With the rod of God in my hand, so Joshua did as Moses said to him. So that's a good leader obedience. And fought with Amalek, and Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And so it was when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed, and when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hand became heavy, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady, until the going down of the sun. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. And verse 22, so Joshua's got some credentials going on. Verse 22, it says, You must not fear them, for the Lord your God himself fights for you. And this is what Moses is doing, is Moses is giving clear instructions to Joshua. And I think that's really important. I think sometimes, um, you know, sometimes in leadership... Not everyone gives clear instructions. Sometimes leaders give me certain instructions, I do it, and I mess up, I'm like, if you told me just that detail, this could have gone so much better. And I think our church, you know, we're not perfect, but um, for the most part, I think our leadership has always given me pretty clear instructions on how to do things. And I think that's a really important thing to keep in mind, because sometimes, you know, when we're in a position of leadership, we think, oh, I already know how to do this. Um, They probably know how to, but a lot of times they don't know. We have to explain to them step by step, giving them uh, details. And this instruction is easier said than done. It says, uh, fear not. And fear is the enemy of faith. So what it's asking is, if you're not fearing, or if you are fearing, you don't have faith. So what it's saying is, you need to have faith. Fear is also the enemy of obedience, because when you fear, you don't have faith. If you don't have faith, you can't um, obey it caused the first generation to turn away because they didn't have faith. They had unbelief. Which, if unbelief is the opposite of faith, it also equates to fear. And so they turned away, and the first step is to not fear. The first step is to not have fear, is to have faith. And if you look at the rest of the verse, it says, For the Lord your God himself fights for you. And so God does all the real work. And so all you do is you have faith, and God fights for you. That's pretty much. The instructions And it's pretty simple, but it's a lot of times in our lives, much easier said than done. A lot of times we fear things, you know, a lot of times we fear circumstances, new things ahead of us, um, challenges that God has for us, different things like that. Um, now we're going to go to verse 23 to 29, a very emotional um, set of verses. Uh, starting at 23, it says, Then I pleaded with the Lord at that time, saying, Oh Lord God, You have begun to show your servant your greatness and your mighty hand for what God is there in heaven or on earth. Who can do anything like your works and your mighty deeds? I pray, let me cross over and see the good land beyond the Jordan, those pleasant mountains, and Lebanon. But the Lord was angry with me on your account and would not listen to me. So the Lord said to me, Enough of that. Speak no more to me of this matter. Go up to the the top of Pisgah. And lift your eyes toward the west, the north, the south, and the east. Behold it with your eyes, for you shall not cross over this Jordan. But command Joshua and encourage him and strengthen him, for he shall go over before his people, and he he shall cause them to inherit the land which you will see. So we stayed in the valley opposite um, Beth Peor. And what Moses is doing, he's pleading with God. He's praying. Extremely emotionally He's going um, He's going God Please let me enter this promised land And the word in the King James Pleaded is besought, And the Hebrew translation is to entreat, implore, favor And supplication And a lot of commentators say There's deep, deep pathos used um, In this passage When Moses is crying out to God And I just find it funny because Right now I'm in a uh, debate class um, Argumentation and they teach us to debate like <laughs> peace um, and so they teach us to appeal to people to appeal to the audience to the judge you got to use pathos logos and ethos and I just find it funny because I don't think Moses you know thought of the three and then chose pathos but if you think about the other two um, we can't bring ethos to God because ethos is an appeal to ethics you're convincing you're convincing someone um, based on credibility and when we're we're convincing God based off of credibility we got no credibility we're Nothing like we got nothing to offer God, zero credibility, and if we use logic, we lose in that too. Because logically, um, us talking to God is a gift, logically, we should be burning in hell because of our um, unholiness, because of our wickedness, our you know decision to sin um, on different terms, and we all fall short of the glory of God. So, logically. We shouldn't even be able to talk to God, so we're in no position. But Moses is using an emotional um, approach. He's appealing to emotions, and he's using deep pathos, but his request is not granted. And I wrote, our sins have consequences, and even though our sin catches up to us, what God does is he makes sure we learn and grow. He has purpose for everything, and oftentimes it's to discipline us. And so we have to remember, we can go to God. We can go to God pleading, just like Moses. Um, but God's measuring stick is not off of your emotions God's measuring stick is off of his will and so emotions regardless that clouds your judgment a lot of times when we pray with deep emotions which is okay a lot of times we see our emotions as priority we see emotions as the measuring stick when we can come to God like that but the measuring stick stays the same the measuring stick stays um, which is God's will um and I just, thought, I just think this is just an emotional picture. This is a man who seeks God. He wrote five different books and is leading a nation. He's crying out to his God. Um, but what it shows also is it shows a faithful God. Because an unfaithful God would not give a just answer. A fa- he's a faithful God. He provides for Moses. And he's actually so faithful that in the New Testament, guess who shows up with Elijah? You guys can read on That is Moses. And so... A lot of just beautiful things in this small passage. You see just a man crying out to his God. He, is, he regrets you know, the mistake he made. But God is saying, you know, I have a plan and a purpose for you. I'm going to discipline you. Um, you're going to have to step down. Joshua is going to come in. And so I also put verse 28, which leads me to that. But you command Joshua and encourage him and strengthen him. For he shall go over, over before his people. And he shall cause them to inherit the land which you will see. And Moses' death is not recorded until chapter 34. Spoiler alert, sorry. Um, so the book of Deuteronomy is actually framed between Moses' Moses's impending death and his actual death. And so if you um, read ahead, Moses doesn't complain about this. He doesn't go, well, I'm going to throw Joshua under the bus so Joshua can't take him out, can't take them in. But he does what's right. Joshua will eventually take them in. He steps down. And I think this is an important thing because it's important to encourage leaders and instruct them. That's the application. And I put formally and informally. I put formally because one day, um, one day um, if you're leading a ministry, you might not be in that ministry anymore. There's going to be someone else that might take your place. And I put informally because we're all leaders. I define um, leadership. Dang it, I ran out of battery. It's okay. (laughs) I define leadership (laughs) as uh, one word. I, I define it as influence. If you have influence over somebody, you have leadership over them. And a lot of times we don't think, you know, well, I don't have kids or I'm not the boss at my job, but you have influence over people. And that's why it's it's important to instruct people the way Moses did, you know, clear, um, having them depend on God. Those are the kind of things you want leaders to bestow upon the people they're influencing. And that wraps up chapter three. We're going to enter chapter four next week. Stick around for that. Any questions, comments, and concerns? Good job.
1: Thanks,
0: Margie. <laughs> let's uh, let's uh, review some
1: of these um, heavy um, things. Just uh, something that maybe stood out that the Lord spoke personally because I've got, I've got quite a few different things on my sheet here as I take notes. But anybody want to share just something? That really stood out that the Lord was speaking to you directly. And so what he shared was uh, fear being the enemy of faith first. And if fear is the enemy of faith, then that leads to fear being the enemy of obedience. And so because we're not walking by faith, we're not obeying. Faith is obeying. faith The ultimate working definition for faith is obedience in spite of consequences or circumstances. And so no matter what's going to happen, no matter what is happening, if I'm walking by faith, then I am going to obey. If I'm not, then I'm not going to walk in obedience and I'm not walking by faith. And then also, if you have um, the idea that God is orchestrating our footsteps and He's the God of our circumstances, we need to ultimately know that this heart of gratitude that He opened up with, that God is in control of the land And he's making even two seas come together, and he knows where he wants to divide them. And he knows what big lands he wants to give, and he knows what little property, if you will, within that land he wants to give, again, as he was sharing. And so we need to be thankful for the very breath that we breathe. And I think something that he said, but he he didn't really... um, It's like he didn't tie the ribbon on it, but he was talking about this idea of having this um, gratitude toward God for every little thing and I think sometimes we miss out on that because there's this (laughs) expectation of grace and when you begin to expect grace, it's no longer grace because we are undeserving of God's grace. It is unmerited unearned and undeserved and so any blessing that we get, everything that we have comes from God and with that we are to be a thankful of all people in the world. We are to be a thankful people for anything that we get. And that should be demonstrated in the daily of our lives. And so he was making that point, but I just, I didn't see the connection. I wrote the connection, but I just, here's my last thing. Um, if you look at a good argument or argumentation, it's going to include emotion, logic, and um, Ethics we can't appeal to God on ethics we can't appeal to him on logic and so this was in a very very emotional plea on Moses's part but it comes down to God's measuring stick is his will amen what does that tell us if we are in the love letter and we spend time getting to know God's measuring stick and walk by faith in obedience to his measuring stick we are in the will of God we are doing the very thing that God wants us to be doing we're in his will our lives will be much better. So you can close this out. Go ahead, Brent.
0: I just want to add back to the grateful thing um, and not expecting things from God or thinking that he should do things. And I find myself in a situation where I meet a Christian and, and they have this expectation of God. Like, yeah, God's going to heal me this. He's going to do this and this. And it I almost, it puts me in a weird spot because I was like, are you sure? Because if he doesn't, what are you going to do? Yet I don't want to come across like, God's not going to do it. You know, it's like, it's hard to deal with that balance of how do you prepare this person in case it doesn't happen the way they think it's supposed to happen, yet not to be like, to try to bust that person's faith. Like, God's not going to do that. You just don't know. So it's kind of a, I find that a difficult balance because I think people do get, things don't happen the way they expect. And all of a sudden, they have issues with God. So I think we need to warn them. I don't know how that balance. Hard. And, and that's a tough thing because we're to walk by faith.
1: And faith is, is believing God for what is unseen. And you have the abuses of that faith um, prosperity gospel movement where they're naming it and claiming it. Right, right. And, and so we want to be careful of that. But at the same time, we do want to walk by faith. But what greater faith, and Paul, I think, is our example of one who prayed three times earnestly, a man who whose handkerchiefs were healing people, and yet he prayed for himself. It didn't come through, but God's word did, and his word was enough. My grace is sufficient for you, Paul, because my power is perfected in your weakness. God's word was enough for Paul. God's word should be enough for us. And so I think in those moments, it's like, well, let's be careful. Or if God's going to heal, remember, God heals in three ways instantaneously, over time through doctors and medicine, or by taking you home to be with Him forever. The ultimate healing where there is no sickness in heaven. So close us on prayer. Come.
0: Thank you, God, for this time, Lord. Thank you for all that came. Um, I pray that the, your word would just sit with us and that we would dig into it throughout the week, too, Lord. Um, I pray you bless the rest of the week and the rest of this night. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.